Hey, good to see you. God, Lee, the holiday weekend. There's a lot of people here this morning, so it's awesome that you're here. If you've got a Bible, turn to Judges chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll throw the verses up here right behind me. If you don't have a Bible but want a paper Bible, there's a bunch of them out in the lobby, the, uh, and you're welcome to take one. Yeah, if you start reading it in Genesis and you've not read the Bible a lot, you know when you get to, when you get to Exodus, Exodus 20, I think it's about the sixth or seventh commandment says don't steal. It's not stealing if we give you permission. So if you take it uh, or anything else on those shelves out there, uh, you have total permission to take it, and we love that. So um, I don't want to preach at you today uh, at all. Um, I don't even want to teach today. A lot of Sundays, uh, I feel like I get to teach. Renee told me this morning, he said, our church is a lot like CCD 2.0. Like for those who grew up in CCDs, like every Sunday I come and I learn something. And for those of you who grew up in CCD, I hope it's uh, an opportunity to learn, but maybe not getting slapped on the wrist if you get out of line or whatever it was that maybe happened to you. I don't want to do that today. I want to, uh, I'd like to kind of let you into where we are as a church and, and where we're heading because every week we get asked a few different questions questions right now with everything going on with meeting here and eventually trans- transitioning over there. Here are some questions we get asked a lot. Pastor, what's this going to cost? Uh, have you wondered that? Some of you have asked that question. Like, what's this going to cost our church? What's this going to cost all of us? I get asked, are you so excited? That's what people outside of our church, are you so excited about what God's doing? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. It's a lot, it's a lot to do, but yeah, we're definitely excited that this will provide a chance to share the gospel a little more clearly, maybe a little more strongly in our neighborhood. This is the one that kills me. I was talking with somebody the other day. They were like, what's your plan? I was like, man, I don't know what a plan. Like, my plan is to get up tomorrow morning, have my cup of coffee, listen to Jesus in the Bible, try, like, try to pray and see where God's leading. Like, I don't have this grandiose plan. I, I wish that my heart worked that way. I don't know if your life is like that. Maybe God lays out like a five-year plan for you, and it's like, this is how it's going to be. You're going to do this. He doesn't do that with me. Like, he tends to give me enough information to get me through that day, definitely. And then sometimes he blesses me with enough to get through the week, and occasionally he'll let me know what he wants me to do for the next few months or a year. But it never goes out past that. And so this week I was talking with somebody and he said, well, what's the plan with Christ Church and First Church and the building? I was like, I don't know. Right now I feel like we just need to listen to Jesus uh, and see what, he, what his plan, listen to what God's plan is. You know what I mean? Like rather than me try to take my plan and go, God, here's my plan. I've written it down. Look, and this year we're going to do this. And then this year we're going to do this. I think God would rather me come with an empty piece of paper and say, God, Here's the paper. What do you want to do? We're listening. Whatever you want to do, we're here to, we're here to hear it. And so the other day I got, it, it can be overwhelming, honestly. Um, there is more history sitting across that parking lot than I can wrap my brain around. There's more building sitting across that parking lot than I can wrap my brain around. We walked through it the other night, Ed and Bonnie and, and Junior and I, and, and Ed goes, man, this is a big building. And I was like, brother, who are you talking to? Like, you think I don't know. Like, this is a big building and a big blessing and a big responsibility. And I'll be honest, it is more than the, the, the privilege of where we are is more than I can do. It's more than I can lead. It's, it's just more. And so the best question I've been asked in the last four weeks, six weeks, I was meeting with Barb and uh, with Jamie the other night. And Barb just goes, how can I pray for you? And I don't want to teach I want to teach or preach today. I just want to tell you that was like so meaningful. Like I could have almost broke down and cried. Uh, How can I pray for you? 
like God brings blessings. Nick and I have gotten to where we're saying God brings blessings. Some blessings are just heavy blessings. Like they're good, but they're heavy. And so I want to talk today. I want to share with you today um, about a moment where God sent a heavy blessing someone's uh, someone's way. And the other night I was meeting with the transition team, which is Howard and Carson and Kayla and, and Nick. And, um, and, and, uh, and this, this Bible story came to mind out of nowhere. And it's one I know, but it's not one that I think about a lot. Like, well, I think about a lot like Jonah and Daniel and the lion's den and David and Goliath. And, you know, I think about Noah and the ark. And I think about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and walking on the water and dying on the cross and rising from the dead in the early church. I don't think about a story in Judges chapter 7 a lot. I bet most of you, if you got up and read your Bible this morning or read it sometime this week, you probably didn't read Judges 7. Did anybody read Judges 7? If you did, it's going to be like the Lord has something for you this morning, right? Um, so, the, but the thing I think about, and I was sharing this with the transition team the other day, sometimes we can have swagger because the fighter is bigger than the fight. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you've ever been like that. Like, there will be, uh, when I was in middle school, I played on my middle school baseball team, and we were terrible. And, like, we would walk in, like, like, our equipment was heavy, and we were stumbling in. And I remember we played Warner Robins Middle School. That was the town I grew up in, Warner Robins, Georgia. And all their guys looked like giants. And they had this one kid, Clay Smith, who was in seventh grade and was, like, 6'3", and could hit a baseball, like, out of Fenway Park as a 13-year-old, just about, right? And, uh, and, man, like, Clay, he just, I remember he walked onto the field different than we did because the fighter was bigger than the fight, and he knew, they knew, like, and I remember we had a lead on them and they ended up run ruling us like, like, I mean, it happened fast. They beat us into submission. The fighter was bigger than the fight. Sometimes in God's economy, especially for his people, probably more often than we realize, the fight is bigger than the fighter. And that's what I want to talk about right now. What do we do when the fight is bigger than the fighter? And I'm thankful for this story of Gideon and the Midianites because it keeps replaying. So we're going to kind of go through this a little uh, steadily this morning, if we might. I'm going to read a verse, and then we'll talk about that verse, and then we'll plod methodically along through this whole chapter. So Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, that's his name, Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early, and they encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the, time, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh and the valley. So God's people, his 12 tribes, have been enslaved in, uh, in Egypt for a long time. And now they've left Egypt. They've been liberated by Moses. And they're moving into the land that God had promised them forever, uh, the land of Palestine, the land around modern-day uh, Israel. And they're moving into that land, and they get the land. And immediately, within a generation, they forget that God gave them the land. And so they start doing what's right in their own eyes. They start sinning against the Lord. They lose faith. And, and then God sends in these other nations to oppress them and begin to enslave them locally and give them a hard time and be bullies uh, to them. And then God will raise up a judge. It's not like a courtroom judge. God raises up these men and women called judges. 
and they deliver the people. And so we're coming up on this guy named Gideon, who we know very little of. There's only been one chapter about Gideon to this point, and it's that God calls Gideon, and Gideon is scared. And if you've ever heard of laying out the fleece, how many of you have ever said, I'm just going to lay out the fleece? It comes from the story of Gideon, because God says, Gideon, I want you to do da-da-da-da-da, and Gideon says, all right, God, I'll do it, but here's what I'm going to need you to do. Tonight, while I'm sleeping, I'm going to lay out a wool sweater, and in the morning, if there's dew around the sweater and not on the sweater, I'll believe it's you. So the next morning, God wants to prove himself and he does it. Well, then that next night, Gideon goes, God, I really want to believe you. But tonight, what I'm going to need to do is lay out that same sweater. And if the dew is on the sweater in the morning and not on the ground, then I'll believe you. It's like this reluctant warrior, this reluctant believer, right? And so the next morning, sure enough, it happens. And finally, Gideon jumps on board with God. And so the first sort of thing we see Gideon doing is he's about to go up against this army of these, this group of people called the Midianites. And they are sitting by this place called the Spring of Harad. It sits up at the top of a mountain and there's overlooking a valley where the Midianite army is standing. It says later on, they're like a bunch of locusts in the middle of the valley. They're just there by the thousands and thousands and thousands. And so Gideon's there at the spring of Harad. Now that word Harad, it means trembling. It's a Hebrew word for trembling. So here's a trembling man at the trembling spring looking down at a massive army and God's about to do something. Sometimes the fight is going to be bigger than the fighter. There's just going to be seasons of life where like, whoo, I am nervous. Do you ever have moments like that where like the fight is so much bigger than your ability that like you can almost just feel physically tense, sleepless, wondering how am I going to get through this small, any of that stuff? That's where God's people find themselves in verse one. Verse two, keep on going. Uh, The Lord now, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you, this is crazy. This is crazy. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever's fearful, whoever's trembling, let him go home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So he's got an army of 32,000 about to fight literally over 100,000 soldiers and God sends home 22,000. <laughs> right there. You just lost 66% of your army and, uh, and God says, your army's too big. If you want to win, if you win it with 32,000, you may all brag that you did it. So send home whoever is fearful and trembling. Now, let me say, is God saying that we should never be afraid? No. Being afraid is part of being human. It's okay to be afraid. It's not unbiblical at all, actually. It's when fear becomes bigger than our faith and becomes part of who we are that there's a problem. What God says here is not anyone who's feeling fear, send them home. What God says here is anyone, who's, anyone who is a trembler, the original language says. Anyone whose identity is fear, send them home. See, there's a difference between looking and going, whew, the fight is bigger than the fighter. I am nervous, but God is good. There's a difference between that and you're living your life by fear. I think a lot of us have been conditioned, particularly in the last couple of years, to live by fear. And God's people are not made to be tremblers. We can tremble 
at the size of the fight sometimes, but we're not made to be tremblers. Fear will not keep us from salvation, but listen, this is important. Fear may disqualify us from some really good fights. Right. Fear won't keep you from salvation. Listen, you can be a trembler and God will save you. God will take us to heaven. We will spend eternity separated from fear and sin and struggle in the presence of Jesus. Fear will not keep you from salvation. However, fear may disqualify you from some really good fights and some really good action that God has for your life. God being our deliverer is more important than us winning the battle. And this is at least the big idea today, I believe. Depending on God, not defeating an enemy is real freedom. Depend. Oh, I've got a slide for it, Rochelle. Depending on God, not winning the battle is real freedom. See, we can tend to think, oh man, if I can get through this battle, then I win. The truth is, winning the battle is not the key. If God was really interested in them winning the battle, he wouldn't have sent home this first 22,000. See, God's not concerned so much with us winning the battle as much as he is concerned with us depending on him. We get sometimes, this is not in the notes, this is always dangerous, we get sometimes what's called a prosperity theology that says if I do good or if I give money or if I believe, then God will bless me. God will bless you because he loves you and you are his child. But God gets to write the script for what that blessing looks like, and I don't always get to determine it. Sometimes the blessing is money. Sometimes the blessing is poverty. Sometimes the blessing is health. Sometimes the blessing is sickness. The Lord gets to determine what the blessing is. And so depending on God, not defeating an enemy and being blessed in the worldly sense That is real freedom. God is responsible for the outcome, and he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Some of you in our church have lost loved ones in the last month, and you've said, man, I know they're with Jesus. See, there's a part of us that could say, unless they defeat this sickness, I don't win. But God would say, no, if you depend on me and that loved one depends on me until their last breath and into eternity, that's the win. That's freedom. God is more interested uh, in us depending on him as a church and as individuals and his families and as all of these different things. He's more interested in us depending on him than he is even in us defeating an enemy. Let's keep going. Verse 4. So the army goes from here to here, right? So here's what happens next. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Now, if I'm the general of this army, I'm starting to get a little frustrated with God because I'm looking at the hundreds of thousands and then I'm thinking, I just lost 22,000 pretty decent fighters and now they're gone. And God says, there's still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. Let me tell you real quick, this is not a slide, but God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. And even when it feels like everything is being run down and reduced, I want to tell you, God still has a plan for your life. He knows, what, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's working it out. And so he brought, verse 5, so he brought the people down to the water, the, the 10,000 left, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. 
I'll show you what this looks like in just a moment. Uh, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands into their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I'll save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. But he retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now, what is God doing? doing here? Because this is even hard for me to get a picture of. So I'm going to show you. This never made sense to me for years until John Randall's, I heard John Randall's one time share a message about this. 9,700 people went down to the river and this is how they drank. He got down like this and they put their faces down to the water and they drank like that. 300 went down to the water and they did like this. What's the difference? 9,700 people were extremely vulnerable. 9,700 people were more concerned with their thirst than their alertness and being ready for the fight. 300 said, I am thirsty, but I'm not so thirsty that I'm going to be vulnerable and make the other 299 vulnerable. I'm ready to go. It is good. It's so good, Rochelle. It's so good. Listen, there's going to be times in our life where the fight's going to be bigger than the fighter. And if we're more concerned with our thirst and our immediate needs and what we got to have today and all of that, we lose some of our usefulness. But if we say the fight is bigger than the fighter, but I'm ready for the fight. I'm not taking my eye off the enemy. I'm not going to make my brother or sister to my right or to my left vulnerable the army will not be vulnerable because I'm ready. Even if that means I don't get as much to drink or I can't drink as fast, I'm ready. I'm not taking my eye off the fight. Man, God can do something through those people. God is looking for an alert people. He's, he's not looking for kneelers. He's looking for lappers. Kneelers look and say, the thirst is great, but my readiness is greater, and therefore I will not be vulnerable. Excuse me, that's lappers. Lappers are, are kneelers lose awareness in wanting to meet their thirst. Vulnerability, we have a slide for this, vulnerability, like fear, will not keep you from salvation. There are vulnerable believers who get constantly, like, picked by the enemy. It's a, it's a, it's a constant, slow butt-whipping, as my granddad used to say. A constant, slow butt-whipping. And that will not keep you from salvation. Vulnerability will not keep us from salvation, but it may disqualify us from a really good fight. And so the army goes from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. I did the math. My mom was a math teacher 37 years. I hate math. I was an English major. But 32,000 to 300 is more than a 99% reduction in the size of this guy's army. Right. All while he sits at the spring of trembling, looking down to the army of tens of thousands of people. Again, depending on God, not defeating an enemy is real victory and freedom. Can you imagine how he had to be like, God, what in the world are you doing? Oh, Lord, <laughs> not 9,700. Those people were good. Why did you? They weren't afraid. They weren't tremblers. All they did was kneel down to get some water. God, why did you just take away 9,700 fighters? 
No, the Lord wanted Gideon to depend on him. So let's keep going. Verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise and go down to the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts. In abundance, and their camels were without number, and so were their weapons. It doesn't say that, but we can assume that. And as the sand is on the seashore in abundance, get a picture of that. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a drink. Oh, let me just stop, actually. Let me stop really quick and just tell you on the eve of war, if you're afraid, take an ally. On the eve of war, if you're afraid, take an ally. Can I tell you something about Pura? It's the only time Pura is ever mentioned. So we don't know a lot about Purah. We know Purah is Gideon's servant. But you know what's one other thing we know about Purah? Purah is one of the 300. If you're in a fight that's bigger than the fighter, take another fighter who's, who is, who's up for it. Take an ally. Take an ally. When your fight brings out your fear, take an enlisted friend, a godly friend. Listen, Frodo needs Sam. Harry needs Ron and Hermione. Calvin needs Hobbes. Troy needs Abed. Tad Lasso needs Coach Beard. You need your brother and sister. The Bible tells us iron sharpens iron. Gideon, the great warrior, needed Pura. If the fight is bigger than the fighter, take an enlisted friend. And then let's keep going. Verse 13, when Gideon and Purah came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. He has this dream and there's a loaf of bread rolling down from the spring of trembling down into the camp where all the army is there like locusts and like sand on the shore. Tumbled into the camp. camp of Midian, it came into the tent and it struck and struck it. So the tent fell and turned it upside down. So the tent lay flat. And the comrade answered, these are pagans. These aren't godly people. These are people who worship the God of Amalek and are the descendants of Midian. And they are not God fearers. These are not believers. And look what this non-believer says in verse 14. And his comrade answered and said, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. I want to tell you something. Even the pagans knew what God was about to do. God's man was scared because the fight was bigger than the fighter. But even the people who didn't believe knew that God was about to do something. And it was not going to be for their good. Even the pagans knew. Don't let a big army and bad odds keep us from doing what God is doing. Even pagans can see it. I want to tell you the craziest part of the last few weeks has been having people come up to Nick and Kayla and I who are not followers of Jesus and have never attended this church and probably will never attend this church and them saying, that is crazy. Man, we're about to see something happen that we've not ever seen. We've had people who are much, much older than me come and say, I don't remember there being a, like a lot of life for a sustained period for a long time in this neighborhood. Spiritual life, strong in this neighborhood. This, this neighborhood's never seen a multi-ethnic church. This na- neighborhood has, to my knowledge, never seen a church that God has blessed with the diversity of this. The most beautiful part 
is this, it's been a long time since the name of Jesus has been elevated to the level that we want to elevate his name to in this neighborhood. Some of you have lived in this neighborhood all your life. And, and, we, and, and, and like Gideon, on the eve of the fight, some of you have lived in this neighborhood your entire life. And I know, I've talked with you and I know that some of you say, I believe God's about to do something that we have never seen him do in this neighborhood. The fight is bigger than the fighter, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And we're at a moment right now where even the people who don't follow Jesus can see it. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. So, verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard these pagans talking about God getting the victory in this dream and its interpretation, what does he do? Does he say, yeah, let's fight, we'll roll out? No. It says he worshiped. When he remembered that the fight was bigger than the fighter, but the Lord was bigger than the fight, his response was not to boast in his flesh and run into battle. His, boast, his, his response was to worship the Lord. He worshiped, and then he returned to the camp of Israel, and he said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men. So he's gone from 32,000 to 10,000 down to 300, and he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets into the hands of all of them. All right? So hold just... You don't have to raise your hand. Hold your imaginary trumpet in your right hand. It says they held the trumpet in the right hand. Just put it there. And, uh, and then he put um, into the hands of all of them empty jars with torches inside the jar. So your right hand's got your trumpet. Your left hand now has a pot and uh, a light, like a little, like, what, like the big lighters. That's all, he's got. That's all we got. Right hand, I got a trumpet. It's like marching band. Left hand, I get a pot and I get a candle. And that's what Gideon gives them. And he says in verse 17, he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you blow the trumpets also and on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So worship puts steel in his spine. I mean, he doesn't say let's fight. He just worships. And he goes to the people and they get, they round up 300 trumpets. I can see like all the marching band Israelites being like, we've been waiting for this our whole life. You're ready to go. You know, they're going to play the trumpet and then they get 300 torches hidden in 300 pots. How many weapons do they have? Crazy. The fight is bigger than the fighter, and the fighters don't even get a weapon. They get a trumpet, a pot, and a candle to go fight hundreds of thousands of people. 300 men. But you know what they do? You know what they do have? They have one battle cry for the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord and for Gideon. Let's talk about what the, uh, so let me just tell you, don't look at the means, the weapons, the army, the opponent, but look to God. Be in the fight, but let God bring the victory. Listen, I want to tell you, Midian had camels, they had numbers, they had weapons, but they didn't have God. Gideon had 300 men, no, wealth, no weapons, hopeless odds, and sure victory because of the Lord. I'd rather have 300 people 
going against an army of 150,000 with 300 trumpets, 300 pots, and 300 candles and have all the camels and weapons and warriors in the world if the Lord's on my side. You want those odds. I take, you take those odds every time. It feels like we're at the bottom and we have nothing. You will take those odds every time. As a church, we'll take those odds every time. We will charge the gates of hell with a water pistol if we know that the Lord is with us. Because there's no better place to be. That's exactly where we want to be. It's where the Lord is. So uh, we are in the fight, but we let God bring the victory. Listen, we are a church of 40 to 60 people. Don't look at it. We have limited resources. Don't look at them. We live in a big neighborhood, one square mile, 18,000 people. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. This is a crazy task before us. Every man, woman, boy, and girl having at least one chance to say yes or no to Jesus. Don't look at the task. We need to find Christian spouses and, uh, and get our kids married to Christians. And some of you are unmarried and single, and you need to get married, not just to get married, but if you're going to be married, if God hasn't blessed you with what the Bible calls the gift of singleness, you need to make sure to marry a Christian spouse. If it's in your power, that is a task. Don't look at it. We need to live a holy sexuality in 2022 in Boston of all places. Don't look at the task. Don't look at that. We need to be a radically generous church. Don't look at that. We need to live simple in this city where everyone is stressed out and has no margin. Don't look at that task. We need to be a diverse church in a city that literally has a history where different racial groups were moved into different neighborhoods so as not to have to live among one another. Don't look at that task. Don't look at it. We need to um, push back addiction and poverty and broken homes and loneliness in our city. We need to acknowledge it, but we do not fix our eyes on it. We don't fix on it. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't look at the battle. We don't look at our army. We don't look at our weapons. We don't look at our enemy. We look at Jesus, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, he will deliver the victory. That's up to him. Midian had everything, but they did not have the Lord. And that brings me back to the big idea today. Depending on God, not defeating an enemy is true victory and real freedom. It's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for our church. Whatever you're going through today, look to God. Fix your heart on God. Fix your eyes on God. If you say, I don't know what that looks like. I don't understand that. That's weird Southern Christianese. I'm not from, that just sounds stupid. What do you mean? I will talk with you after church. I'll connect with you this week. I'll buy you a coffee. I will explain to you what I believe it means. But we have to fix our hearts on God and depend on God, not the resources, the soldiers, the size of the battle, the enemy, the fight, or the fighter. We look to the Lord. And here's what happens in verse, let's finish this story. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came out to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So it's the middle of the night when they had just set the watch. So they've just said, all the soldiers who've got from 9 p.m. till midnight, we're swapping you out. Now we've got the midnight shift and they all get in their places and they're guarding the camp of the Midianites. And, uh, and here's what happened. They just set the watch. They blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands. 
Trumpet in the right hand. Not sure how they did this. I've been trying to figure it out all week. Did they put the trumpet between their knees and smash these things? Did they hold the trumpet, play it, and smash it? I don't know. I like to envision that they took their trumpets, smashed the clay pots. Not sure how the candle torch didn't fall to the ground and blow out. That would be my luck. I can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. I would be the guy. Did you just say for real in the back? Did my wife say for real? I thought Natalie said was like burning me back there. So I would be the guy who's like, oh, crap, my torch ran out. Ed, can you light my torch again? Forget it for the Lord. None of these 300 people, because they're ready, right? They're ready. These people are alert. These are not un- uncoordinated nincompoops. I don't know how they did it, but they take, they're blowing the trumpet. They smash the pot. They hold the torch. And these hundreds of thousands of soldiers who think that they're just sleeping quietly that night See all around them, torchlight, 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 torchlight. And they just hear 300 cries of the bravest soldiers, the most alert soldiers, the people who are not bullied by fear. They hear, for the Lord and for Gideon. And then they see a torchlight and they are hearing trumpets and they freak out. Out. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, verse 20, and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. God's people are standing there like anchored to the ground, unmoved. And the army with all the soldiers and all the camels and all the weapons They're like stepping on an ant pile and watching the ants scatter. And and every man stood in his place around the camp. The army ran, and they cried out, and they fled. They're screaming. The panic is in the camp. They're screaming, and they're running. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord said, Every man's sword, not the 300, the Midianite swords, against his comrade and against all the enemy because it's the middle of the night and they've been awakened from their sleep and they're scared to death and they start killing each other. God's enemies are killing each other and God's people are just standing there and all the army fled as far as Beth, I'm not saying that next word, towards Zererah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all of Manasseh. And they pursued after Midian. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Three things happened that day. Here's what happened that day. Number one, the Midianites panicked. The absence of God with great resources is no comfort. You'd be the richest person in all of Boston without Jesus, and your life is as unsettled as the person who has absolutely nothing. This army had everything, and they panicked because they didn't have the Lord. Result two, how many people did the 300 kill? Pretty tough to kill someone with a trumpet and a torch. (laughs) The 300, the alert 
unafraid warriors did not kill a single person that day. They had no weapons. God killed the enemy. But it wasn't just God. It wasn't just God. The third result of that, even the fearful had to fight. The 31,700, as the hundreds of thousands begin to run, what's Gideon do? He says, go send messengers to, every, to the tribes and the towns around him, around here. And you tell those soldiers who are too afraid or too worried about their thirst to fight, you tell them, get in the fight. The enemy is running and they're about to kill him. The 300, as best we know, never killed anyone. But the leaders of Midian and Amalek, Zeb, and what was the other guy's name? Oreb, they died at the hands of the 31,700. Why does that matter? Because God doesn't give his family, his covenant people, a pass to sideline set. Even if we're afraid, even if we can't get it together and we're constantly vulnerable, God does not give us a pass to, to sideline sit. There can be, listen, if this is your church, there can be no sideline sitting in this phase. I need you to pray. I need you to show up. I need you to serve. We need you to give. We need you to welcome people. We need you to invite people. We need you to be in the fight. If this is your church, please don't sideline sit right now. Will you be saved? Absolutely. Will you go to heaven? 100%. We'll spend time in eternity praising God and what he did in Charlestown. But we're all going to fight. So just be in the fight. Let's go ahead and just be in the fight. Nobody gets to sideline sit in God's army in the middle of a battle. And so um, th- this is a line. I-, I, didn't, I didn't write this. I think this is the most powerful thing I read this week. If we can throw a slide up for this. It is not fortune, but God who will help the brave. The harvest waits for the reaper. It's not fortune, but God who will help the brave. The harvest waits for the reaper. There's things that God wants to do in our city, in our neighborhood, in our church, and in our workplaces, in our homes, and with our neighbors and our families. And we think, man, if fortune will just fall my way, then I'll jump in on that. Let me tell you, the harvest is waiting for the reaper. Be brave. Be alert. Jump in the battle. I think there's all kinds of victory that God wants to give us but we wonder, like we need him. Like we try to lay out the fleece and God's like, I don't need you to lay out the fleece. Just get in the battle. Lean into me. Quit waiting for the odds to be in your favor. I'm with you. You don't need anything but me. Depending on God and the fight, not defeating the enemy is true freedom. So what fight do you find yourself in right now personally where you need to depend on God rather than try to fight harder? I guarantee you if we went around the room, which we won't, but every one of us would have a fight that we need God to deliver victory in. Let me just tell you, for the one who's not yet a Christian or just the one who needs reminding today, uh, so we focus this on the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel in this story, all right? Your sin and my sin is our Midian. Midian is sin. It is an enemy that we cannot defeat. God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. And we may find ourselves with our sin at trembling spring, shaken by our helplessness. Uh, And and, and at trembling spring, we can make the decision, am I going to believe or am I going to reject? Our means and our efforts are futile. We don't have any weapons to fight our sin. 
There's not a weapon that we have that can overcome our sin. And so our victory is equally foolish. It's not our weapons of effort. It's not our weapons of religion. It's not our efforts of strength. It is our, it's, it's our weakness. It's our humility. It's our faith. It's our surrender. It's our saying, Jesus, I cannot win this war against my sin. I cannot win this war to have relationship with you. I need you to come into my life. And it's surrender that we find, it's in surrender we find our strength. Listen, the greatest place where the fight is bigger than the fighter is in our salvation and relationship with God. But God's bigger than the fight. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Lord, I pray um, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, it feels like uh, we are in the midst of a fight. You know, there's this broad cultural battle that... Um, Lord, as people who follow you, it can feel like we're being pushed further and further to the margins culturally as the people of God. That's okay. Lord, we just need to depend on you. Lord, as a church, it feels like uh, you have brought us into a moment (laughs) where the fight is bigger than our resources and people and ability and wisdom and all of those things, but the fight's not bigger than you. Lord, we need you. Lord, there are situations in our homes uh, and maybe in our health and our relationships with our neighbors, with our family that just feel bigger than our ability to deal with them. And Lord, that's okay. Teach us, God, to depend on you, not try to win. Lord, I can try to be such an overcomer. Lord, the overcoming is in leaning into you. So teach us all, teach me, God, especially to lean into you in all things. And Lord, if there's a person in here today who maybe they're religious, maybe they pray, maybe they believe in God, but they've never invited you into their life, Lord, would you free them from this, um, this false belief that they got to try harder and do more. Lord, the fight against sin and the fight for relationship with you is bigger than the fighter, but it's not bigger than Jesus. And so, Jesus, we praise you that when the sin and the fight was bigger than us, you came and you entered into the fight with us and you, you went to the cross and died and rose again so that we can have relationship with you. And God, there are people in our church who are working that out. They're trying to figure it out. God, I pray that the light bulb would go off in their hearts and you would reveal to them their need to depend on you completely for relationship and salvation. Lord, help us be a church that gets to celebrate that better than anything else and more than anything else. God, would you bring people into our faith family who are giving their lives to you? Uh, God, we want this church to grow. I do. I want to see people gathered worshiping Christ at Christ Church Charlestown on Sundays at 10 Green Street for years and years and years to come. But God, my prayer would be that we would see those people come because they've given their lives to you. And, uh, and you've done something that we could never take the credit for. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.